Hello and welcome. We are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. My name is Nate Huss. I'm one of the team members here. And thank you for joining us. If you are new, glad you found us. If you'd like to learn more, we are at restorationaz.org. This week, we dive into week two of our hospitality practice, hospitality to our geographic neighbor. We will dive right into Matthew chapter uh, 22. If you have a Bible, we are in our second week in our hospitality series, our hospitality practice. Last week, we talked about hospitality to the foreigner and stranger, and this week, our, uh, our hospitality practice groups met, so we have a few more weeks of that. Today is a different topic. We're going to talk about the uh, topic of hospitality to your geographic neighbor. And I think this is, I guess, a sermon, if we want to call it that, a topic that is two things. One, it is overly, incredibly simplistic. It is not complicated at all. I probably won't share a whole lot with you. That is new. Yet somehow, and this is something I'm convicted by, it is extremely challenging. It is so simple, yet so hard. And so we're going to press into uh, what Jesus says is the second greatest commandment, and we'll dive in by reading the scriptures together in Matthew chapter 22. We read this. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, these are two different uh, political and religious leadership groups in this day, they came together in the same place. And one of them, an expert in the law, we're told that he's an expert in the law, to, to help us indicate why he's asking Jesus a question. And it is to test him. It's not to learn from Jesus. It's not to have a better understanding of the ways of God. It's to try to prove that Jesus doesn't actually know what the scriptures are about, that he shouldn't be given a following, that he doesn't actually have the authority that he says he does. They're arguing with him here. So they ask him this question to try to catch him in a trap. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? And the the law represents the first five books of the Bible. And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. And so this is perhaps the most or second most uh, probably common scripture that we hear or, or memorize or we have discussed. And again, it's simple. Now, it's interesting that Jesus says all of the law and the prophets, so all of the scriptures at that time are based on these two uh, commands, He actually uses that word depend, which is really interesting. Not only is there like a hierarchy that these two are the the greatest, they're the most important, but if you pull them out, nothing else matters. The rest of the scriptures don't work. The, The way of Jesus, the way of God will not make sense or be possible. So it's not like, hey, do these two things first. It's if you don't do them, nothing else is gonna make any sense. Jesus says this is the second greatest command. He takes it seriously. And my question for us, the question that I myself have been pondering this week, is do we take it seriously? And one of the ways I've been pondering that, and our our hospitality practice guide booklet will help you process, and we'll process this morning, is this. How well do you actually know your neighbors? Like, do a little imaginary walk around your neighborhood or wherever it is that you sleep and think about the people that kind of sleep near there. How many of them do you know? How many faces come to mind? Let alone how many names? 
Do you know how many people live in each of those houses? How many are male or female? What they do for work? What their fears are? What they enjoy? What they've been through? Do you actually know your neighbors? I uh, shared that I really don't. I've lived on the same street for about 80% of my life. And uh, some of my friends were in the, the first service and they were laughing at me because, though I didn't realize this when I was saying it, I live across the street from my mom and my dad and my grandma and then on the same street as my sister. I'm like, well, I wasn't thinking about them. I know them pretty well. But everyone else, do you actually know your neighbors? And that begs the next question, is it possible to love somebody if you don't know them? I would argue no, and we'll talk about that today, but if we don't know our neighbors, it probably means we can't love them at least well. And for me, that then means I'm not taking Jesus seriously for what he says, to love your neighbor. So we're gonna dive into that. I think there's two key questions we kind of have to build as a foundation as we enter this discussion of what it means to and whether or not we are loving our neighbors. The first is what is love? How do we define love? I think oftentimes we assume that people understand when we say the word love or that we're on the same page when we use this word, but I think that's a pretty faulty assumption. And maybe the the best way to think about how we define love is to think about what love is not biblically, what Jesus doesn't mean. And the first thing is this, love is not the equivalent of being nice. I think our culture says that, be agreeable, accepting, whatever it might be, be kind, be nice. That's simply just not what love is sometimes. But one of the most unloving things we can actually do is fear conflict to the degree that we're willing to agree with someone even if it's gonna harm them. Love is not the same as being nice. Love also is not merely a feeling. Sometimes that feeling comes with love. But loving somebody and liking somebody are two different things. So you might have some really awesome neighbors that you really like and enjoy hanging out with. That's good. You're called to love them. And you might have some other neighbors that are not as likable that you're also called to love because loving and liking are not the same. It's not a feeling. In 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul gives us a description of what love is, and I would argue that it's a description. It's a picture being painted of how love is played out, of how you know you are seeing love, of the characteristics of love. It's not necessarily a, a definition, though. It says when you see love, it is patient and it's kind. It's not holding on to grudges. It's not easily angered. It's selfless. It's what love looks like. It's how it comes out. And then I think Jesus actually gives us a helpful definition of love when he says that there's no greater love than this, a man giving up his life for a friend. What does that mean love is then? It kind of defines it for us. If a man is giving up his life for someone else, he's exchanging what is valuable to him, what's in his best interest to pursue what's in the best interest of another. It's an exchange in value systems. And that's the definition we're going to use today that, that comes from Jesus. It's valuing, seeking, pursuing what's in the best interest of another over our own best interest. That's not easy to do, but that's the call Jesus gives us to love. So keep that in mind as we discuss this morning loving your neighbor. The second question is this, who is my neighbor? And this is a question that uh, some of the religious leaders point blank just asked Jesus, and, and we'll read that in Luke chapter 10. 
We read this. Just then, another expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus asked. How do you read it? The man answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself which you could interpret that like this, wanting to not have to love people that he does not like, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? He's trying to excuse himself from having to love a certain people group, those that were strange and different and enemies. And so you, you might be familiar, maybe or maybe not, with what happens next. Jesus gives us what we call the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in essence, what it's saying is love your enemies, love those that are different from you, love the ones that you don't want to love. And that makes sense. He's telling this man, no, you have to love them too. Uh, but what you'll see in our, our booklet this week is we've actually done something that Jesus did not intend uh, to happen with the Good Samaritan parable. What we've done is said, hey, prioritize primarily on your maybe enemies or those different from you, those far away. And what we've done is taken that as actually an excuse to justify, like me, not knowing and loving your geographic neighbors. That's not at all what Jesus was saying. It was just so assumed and ingrained within their culture because it's ingrained from cover to cover in the scriptures that you would love your geographic neighbor that Jesus doesn't have to even state that. He's just making a point. It also means, your neighbor additionally means the enemy, foreigner, stranger, etc. So we cannot use this as an excuse to not love your geographic neighbor. Your neighbor first and foremost is your geographic neighbor. We'll talk about communal neighbors next week. Our American culture, we don't prioritize that. We've got high fences and walls and security systems and garages. As uh, in like the, the 70s, development shifted. It was cheaper to eliminate the front porch as we mass-produced communities. And when that happened, uh, we actually lost hospitality because the, the front porch was this place where kids played in the front yard together and you had conversations. You could be walking down the street and just hang out without having to invite somebody in necessarily and have your house clean and perfect and whatnot. It was just a simpler way to be in community, to love your neighbors. That often does not exist now in modern developments. There's a shift Think about this for a second. Do you think it it's like a, a positive thing or a negative thing? If like on a real estate listing, it would never say this. But if it did, like you'll be the neighbor to a Christian. Do you think it would be a positive or negative? Do you think it would like raise the value of the property in the house or lower it? It's kind of a frightening question. We're called to love our geographic neighbors? Are we taking Jesus seriously with this call? Go back to our, our passage. One of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test Jesus. What's the greatest command? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the most important command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Similar to uh, the, the golden rule kind of principle, right? Like treat people how you want to be treated. There is a difference, though. It's saying, actually, love them how you love yourself. 
It's so simple. I think we can kind of just glaze over this. It's cliche. We've heard it a million times. So we just go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But what does it actually mean to love someone as you love yourself? I want to just break that down in three ways to help guide us in the call Jesus has given us. You got to decide whether or not we have to decide whether or not we're going to take it seriously to love our geographic neighbors. But what does it mean if we're going to do that to love them as ourselves? Number one, I think it's this. You know yourself really well. In fact, probably nobody knows you as well as you know you except for God. So you know your fears, you know your ambitions, you know your strengths and weaknesses, you know your needs, you know how to love yourself. So you're pretty well equipped to do so. Again, better than anyone except for probably God. So that leads us to this. I would argue, and I think the scriptures paint this picture, that love actually starts with getting to know somebody. That's why we talk over and over again about the table, meaning the dining table. There's something so significant about sharing a meal and valuing somebody and getting to know them because as you get to know them, you begin to know, oh, what is actually in their best interest? Now you can pursue loving them. We love our neighbor as ourselves by first and foremost getting to know them. Second, Think about the extent to which you are willing to go for yourself. If you think about the career you might want to pursue or did pursue or the the college that maybe was the, the school of choice or the house that you want to live at or do, the way you take care of a property, the clothes you purchase, the company you keep. My guess is you're willing to go to a pretty far extent in terms of finances and time and energy and effort, brain power for you. That's just what we do. It's natural. And so to love your neighbor as yourself means I'm going to go to the same extent I would for me, but for them. That's different. We don't see that. We're not trained to do that. Third is to give honor to yourself. We're really, really good at that. In fact, I think our culture created something called like humble bragging. Like we're really creative at getting people to honor ourselves, at bringing honor to ourselves. Some people just outright do it by bragging and arrogance. Others actually can do it in the form of insecurity and by saying, oh, just poor me, I'm not very good. And then people go, no, you really are. It's great. We're great at bringing, at being a a magnet to be honored. What if we honored others instead? This is to love your neighbor as yourself. Let's look at verse 37 again. Jesus said to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. I think this is also a clue as to the way in which we're to love our neighbors. Why do you think Jesus clarifies and and Yahweh God clarifies that we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind? Or in Luke, it also adds that term with all your strength probably because it's not our natural inclination to do so. We don't naturally give all of our devotion, heart, soul, and mind to God. We naturally give our whole heart, soul, and mind to ourselves. And so again, what is uh, the, the picture that's being painted here is to give lovingly all of you to another person. This is different. Our culture doesn't do that. We here take care of you. Take care of yourself. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This 
is the greatest and most important command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Like, this is it. It doesn't, it doesn't exist beyond this. This is the way of Jesus. And so then we come to the question, do we do that? It's not complicated. But are we loving our neighbors? Do we actually know them? Do we care? Or have we gotten so busy or consumed by other things that somehow, though we call ourselves followers of Jesus or Christians, We've somehow neglected what he has said is the second greatest commandment, one of the the two that everything else depends on. As I reflect on my life, it's pretty clear to see I've kind of gotten good at ignoring Jesus. And maybe you fall into that same boat. Oftentimes, if we're honest, we're more interested in what Jesus gives to us and what Jesus offers us than being with or being like Jesus. And this is a moment to consider that. So then the the final question for us is how? We have a simple decision whether or not we want to uh, decide that Jesus is trustworthy when he tells us, calls us, commands us to love our geographic neighbors. If we decide that's a worthwhile pursuit, then how do we do that? And again, sometimes I like to think in how not to. It's just simpler. It's not try harder. It's not Nike's slogan of just do it. It won't work. That's actually probably one of the greatest mistakes we make as Christians. We just do it. We hear something, we go, oh, great, just go do it. Try harder, work harder, be better. And that's the opposite of of what the gospel actually is. Think about it like this. Think about light. If we were to shut off all the lights in this room and, and the sun went down and it was pitch black, so much so that you can't see the eyes of the person sitting next to you and you put your hand out and you can't even see your hand, you could try as hard as you can You could do anything that comes to mind for as long as you want, and you cannot produce light. You could pull out a phone or maybe a flashlight or build a fire, great, but in and of yourself, you are not a source of light. You can't bring it about. It's just not something we can do. It's the same with love. We, as human beings created by a perfectly loving God, are not sources of love. 1 John says, God is love. Nowhere in the scriptures does it say, we as humans are love, but we're called to love. There's a difference, though, that's key. Different than the light of which we cannot produce because we're not a source. In the same way, if you just try harder to love your neighbors, or you just go do it, you're going to fail because you don't have love to give. That's just a reality. We can't give something we don't have. It's different, though, with heat. I think it's funny in the wintertime when I walk around my house barefoot, we have concrete floors, and then at night I'll, I'll walk around and I'll crawl into bed with my wife, and then I'll put my foot on her leg, and she goes, what the? And then she's not very happy with me from that point forward, and I think it's hilarious. The, the temperature from the cold concrete goes to my foot, and my foot goes to her leg, and then she's thrilled with me, right? It's different in the summer, Especially like if you're in Phoenix and the AC is like ridiculous, it's always funny to me. It's like 120 degrees or something outside, so we make it feel like an igloo inside everything. I don't understand that. You walk out, I'm always freezing, and so I'll walk out to like my car and I'll put my arm against the metal and the the warmth, the heat from the sun has now 
transferred to the car. And if I put my arm, if it's not too hot, on the car, eventually that heat will transfer from the car to my arm. And then I could go touch my wife and she'll feel that warmth that came from the sun to the car, to my arm, to my hand, to her. And you are conducting that heat. I was not the the greatest of students, but I think in middle school we learned about this, being called a conductor, right? Certain things conduct heat or electricity better than others. And when it comes to love, we have to understand this. This is one of the greatest mistakes we make. You are not a source of love. You never can be. You never will be. So trying harder will not work. When it comes to love, and specifically to loving our geographic neighbors, the call is not to be a good source or producer of love. The call is to be a good conductor of love. And all good conductors need a great, perfect source a sufficient source of whatever it is they're conducting to receive from and extend to something else. And thankfully for us, and hopefully thankfully for our geographic neighbors, we have the absolutely perfect source of love to receive from and then to extend to our geographic neighbors. But we cannot skip that step or we will always fail. So the very first step in loving our neighbors is not to go do. I would argue it's to ask. God, I want to experience your love. I want to be overwhelmed by who you are and your goodness. And I then want to give it to others. But if we don't receive that love, we don't have anything to give. So that's the first step. I'd encourage you to do that, to to set your hands out and to actually ask God to experience his love, to know it. I will caution you, though, his answer will be yes, I have no doubt, and I say caution you because then he will love you in ways that you don't expect or necessarily want. You will know he's good, but sometimes it's because he takes you up mountains you don't think you can climb. But it's only when we experience his love and how truly trustworthy and good and faithful he is. That's why we sing these songs to go, it is all about him who never fails and never will. That's when you are warmed by that love when you have received this love that goes beyond all comprehension, it's only then that you can give it. The second thing I think we need to do if we want to take Jesus' command seriously is actually to ask to be filled with love for our neighbors. Again, don't skip the step of just doing it, but go, God, I might not love them very well. I love myself a lot. I don't love them that well, but I want to, so help me. Again, I'm pretty sure he's going to say yes. No, it's going to be cost, there will be a cost with it. There just is. Because the way we love our neighbor as ourselves is to give honor, to go to the extent that we go to ourselves except for them, to do so with all our heart, soul, and mind, to get to know them, which means it's going to require time. So, it's not complicated. It's just a matter of if we want to or not, and if we'll seek him out on this. Once we're, we're filled with his love, if we do take this, I think there's, there's three simple steps, but don't jump to these steps because it doesn't work if we skip receiving first. One, get to know your neighbors. The, the booklet will talk about simple ways to do this. Again, it's why we say that the table, especially the dining table, is so important. Go for a walk and just have a conversation. It doesn't have to be complicated. It is loving to simply get to know somebody because only then can you know what's in their best interest. Two, go to the extent you would go for them. And three, honor them. 
It's not hard, but we just can't skip that step. May we be a people that do so. May we be a people that take Jesus seriously for his words. May we be a people that don't try to do it on our own effort, but rather just allow him to overwhelm us with his love. Let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, once again, we just thank you for your love. God, I pray for every person in here, whatever that relationship with you has looked like, that you would cover and blanket and drown and overwhelm them with who you are, with your goodness and your presence and your love. And that as they receive of that love and it overflows, that you would cause and, and spur them on to love others, to love our neighbors. God, maybe we, through your work and, and by your spirit, transform what it means to be a good neighbor so that our culture looks and sees and says that it doesn't make sense and we can point to you because you showed us the way. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We are Restoration Church. And if this is your first time joining us, welcome. We're so glad that you were able to tune in. My name is Nate Huss and I'm one of the team members here at Restoration. And uh, if you would like to learn more, please go to restorationaz.org. And as always, remember, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus. Jesus.